tell them they're in the right place today. Thank you, Mark. We have the victory. It's okay to have fun in church. It's okay to do some cheerleader, you know, things. Um, but I'm so excited about this series. How many have been here for the Forever series? For some of the weeks, we've been talking about heaven. We've been talking about eternity. And um, we talked about one week, we talk, the first week, we talked about God wants us all to go to heaven, but he also wants us to invite heaven into earth through our prayers. So we, the first week was as it is in heaven. The second week, we talked about hell is for real. Just like heaven is for real, hell is for real. That we're all going to end up in one of two destinations. What are the destinations? Heaven or hell. And so that we want to choose not only for us to go to heaven, but to bring as many people with us there as possible. And then the third week, we talked about what would it look like to spend 18 minutes in heaven and meet the generals of the faith and some other people out there, up there, that, that are cheering us on, the great cloud of witnesses. Last week, we talked about when people give you the rough stuff, give them heaven. When people put you through the, the, the difficult things in life, give them heaven. Everybody say, give them heaven. Today we're going to end the series. Some of y'all are like, this forever series has been going on forever. <laughs> Today we're going to end it, but in ending it, I pray that it would stay with you. These messages of how do we live our lives in light of forever, knowing that our time here on earth is short. And we talked about this rope, that this rope represents our life. Some of y'all have seen me do this some of the weeks, and imagine this rope circles the globe. It goes around time and time again, and this is our life. But this short orange part right here represents our time on earth. And yet we live so much of our lives preoccupied, focused on this, and we're not thinking about what awaits us after this life, that we all will step into eternity one day. And what we do in this short orange part of the rope determines where and how we'll spend eternity and where and how others will spend eternity as well based on what we did with our witness, how we reached out to them. And Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples and other people. And we're going to get into it. But before we do, I want us to pray. Just let what we just confessed sink down deep as we get into this word. Lord, speak to us today. Holy Spirit, take this place over. Do what you want to do. God, you are king of all, God. You're the king of this service, of this church. Lord, you're the head of the church. And God, I ask you to speak to us today. Let us leave today refreshed, encouraged, challenged renewed. God, that we would rise to the challenge. Lord, that we wouldn't be intimidated by the challenge that you give followers. But Lord, we would rise to it and, and decide to be those disciples that follow you radically, God, no matter what it takes. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So the first question I have for you is when you think of treasure, what comes to your mind? Because Jesus is talking about treasures. As a kid, when I would think about treasures, the first thing that came to my mind was a treasure chest filled with gold coins and diamonds and pearls. And I would think, well, I don't have any treasure. I, I'm, I must not be included in this conversation. This is for like the really wealthy people, the really rich people. And I want you to ask the person next to you, are you rich? <laughs> it just got awkward. Here's the thing. Most of us in this room are richer than we think we are. We may not think we're that rich because rich people usually think, I don't have as much as somebody else in the room. Someone else out there has more than me. But let me just put things in perspective. Right now, I was looking on the statistics on the internet, which are always true. And, um, <laughs> and one of the statistics out there said that if you drive a car 
you're in the top 5% richest people in the world. If you have a car, if you get to drive a car, if your family has a car, you're in the top 5% richest people in the world. All right, if you don't have a car, but if you got to eat out once in the last week, and I'm not talking about like eating out at Fleming's or Mahogany's, I'm talking like Taco Bueno, McDonald's, Taco Bell. If you got to eat out just once in the last week, you're in the top 5% wealthiest people in the world. If you make minimum wage in Oklahoma, minimum wage, not like bonuses and more than the other people, just minimum wage, you're in the top 5% richest people in the world. And, and if you have a family collective salary of $48,000, that's between you, your spouse, or your kids in your house, you're in the top 1% wealthiest people in the world. Here's the thing. A lot of us, we don't think we're that wealthy. We don't think treasures has to do with us. It has to do with the rich young ruler that Jesus was talking to. But Jesus is talking to everybody in this conversation. And he's talking about stuff. Money that you have and stuff that you own. Jesus is not against us having stuff, owning stuff, having money. What he is against is stuff owning us. Money owning us. Things owning us. Making sure that we're not staking our happiness, our peace, our security in what we own or what our bank account says. He wants us to put our security, our hope, our happiness, our joy in something beyond this world, beyond our bank account. So he starts this conversation and he gives us three images to look at. And the first image is the moth. The moth and then he goes to the rust and then he goes to the thieves. He says, if you have something that the moths can destroy. Now, in the eastern olden days, in that part of the world, people would buy like fine linen. They would wear like these really beautiful clothes and purple, purple was like royalty. So a lot of people would get purple and, and they would get all kinds of nice linen. But Jesus said, that's going to get eaten up by moths. Sooner or later, that's, if that's where your happiness is at, in clothes and fashion and those kinds of things. And what would that translate to today? It's not just clothes, it's anything that kind of fades over time. That after like three or four years, you have to get something new. You have to upgrade. Because that's what we do in American cultures. We upgrade. Like the iPhone 3 was cool six years ago. But now you got to get the iPhone 6. Right? The, 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 uh, maybe the, I don't know what else out there you have to upgrade. But you know what I'm talking about. The things we buy that over time, they kind of lose value. They kind of fade away. And, and it's the same thing with rust. Rust is a time thing. It's something you buy that doesn't have permanent, lasting excitement. That It's exciting for right now, but after a few years later, you kind of are like, why did I buy that? For me, one of those things was Beanie Babies. How many of you guys remember Beanie Babies? Come on, Beanie Babies. I was a Beanie Babies collector. But here's the bad thing. I got into Beanie Babies towards the end of the Beanie Baby phase. And I, and I got into it for the wrong reason. I got into it to invest because I was thinking, I'm going to make some major money off of Bessie the Cow and off of, you know, the little penguin and the other Beanie Babies. How many of you guys remember those animal Beanie Babies? Okay. So I bought, I don't know, man, it's embarrassing. Like I spent all my lawn mowing money, my birthday money, and like just, I don't know, any money I had on Beanie Babies. And I had so many Beanie Babies. Like, it's weird for a 12-year-old boy to have that many Beanie Babies in his room. My dad was like, do we need to have a talk, Paul? I said, Dad, I'm investing in these Beanie Babies. They're going to make me millions. You're going to see. I'll sew it into the church. Just watch. And, you know, I was convinced these Beanie Babies, they were going to be long-lasting, awesome investments. You know what happened like a year or two later? All those Beanie Babies ended up in one cardboard box at a garage sale that somebody bought for like 20 bucks for the whole thing. 
There was, there was like a sad moment. How many of you guys have had some of those moments with like things you bought and it ended up in a garage sale and you thought it was going to be a great investment or investments you made and it ended up not being the greatest investment? Just raise your hand if you've been there before. Okay, I'm not alone. You're not alone. Jesus says, hey, anything you buy that's not permanent value, don't stake your happiness in it. It's okay to have things. It's okay to go on Black Friday and get the deals and go shopping. Just don't put your happiness and your peace and your security in the things that you own. And by the way, don't let the things that you own own you. Don't let the money that you make own you. And he says this. He says, things that can be stolen from you are not really lasting value. Well, that's anything. I remember one morning I woke up and walked out to my car. And it was like the week after Christmas. And bad thing is I left all the Christmas presents in the car. And my wallet and my Cricut cell phone. And my CDs, because we didn't have iPods back then. I had CDs, and, and, um, and I left my Bible. This person stole my Bible, too. Someone broke into my car and stole all the presents, the wallet, the phone, and the Bible. Who steals the Bible? If you stole the Bible, God forgives you, but don't steal any more Bibles. We will give you a Bible after church today. But I remember just the ache in my heart because I was attached to the stuff. And what happens is on Thanksgiving, we love to get stuffed. Like, how many of y'all got stuffed this Thanksgiving? I ate, watched some football, ate again, watched some football, and ate again. And the next morning, got on, like, the weight machine and regretted how much I ate. Did anybody else do that? And we try to get stuffed with a bunch of stuff that at the end of our lives, we find out doesn't really amount to much stuff at all. That really leaves us more hungry and thirsty and empty because stuff in this world can't really satisfy us. And Jesus says, let me tell you what to do with all that stuff. Verse 20, store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten, rusty, and they will be safe from thieves. Treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart and thought, thoughts will also be. Did you know in heaven, it's like the greatest worship service ever? They have like amazing worship in heaven. Like the best set list you could ever pick gets picked every day in heaven, and they're having awesome worship, but here's the thing. We think here on this earth, a lot of times as Christians, we think worship is about music, and we kind of like crave, like, man, I wish we could worship more. I wish we could worship longer, and God's saying, hey, guys, worship is not just lip service. Worship is life service. Worship is more than three songs on Sunday. Worship is loving your spouse on Monday. Worship is treating your employees with respect. On Wednesday. Worship is doing your job well, being integral and honorable and walking in character. Worship is glorifying God with your life. It's more than a song. It's more than a song. And this is what Jesus is saying is your worship, that's your treasure. Where your heart is. And, and by the way, Jesus talked about money like half of his sermons he dealt with money. Because in that culture, just like American culture today, Money was the chief competitor for people's hearts with God. Like if there was another idol that was warring against people's hearts with God, it wasn't like a, you know, an idol we would think of maybe in, in today's terms, an idol of some, something built that people would bow down and worship. It was money. Money battled for people's love and adoration and need. I've got to have more. I've got to have more. In fact, there was a story of a reporter going up to uh, Rockefeller. How many of you guys remember the, the, like the multi... I guess billionaire Rockefeller back in the day who they built a building in New York City, the Rockefeller building where NBC Studios is. Well, 
a reporter came up to Rockefeller and they said, how much more money do you need? He said, just a little bit more. Because this is what wealth does to all of us. It leaves us wanting more and more. The more you have, the more you want. Wealth has, has some side effects that aren't very good. It leaves you discontent, especially when you don't know what to do with your wealth. The more you use it on yourself, and, and honestly, a lot of us, we spend right up to our income, and then some more, and then some more, because we just want more. And upgrades are important because we're watching our neighbors get stuff. And Christmas time, you're seeing people buy things, and i got to have that too. And if I don't get that, I'm not going to be happy this Christmas. And Jesus says, hold on. It's okay to have things. Don't let things have you. Here's what you need to do to store treasure in heaven. I want you to ask that question. How do I store treasure in heaven? Okay, I'm glad you asked the question. Here's how we store treasure in heaven. Paul gives us kind of a formula when he sits down to talk, or not sits down, but writes to his young, I guess you would call him mentee, Timothy. Timothy was someone who was trying to be as good as he could as, as a pastor. He was trying to learn. And so Paul says, Timothy, here's what you need to do. And let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. He tells Timothy what he needs to say to the church. So the people in there that make a few dollars more than other people, the people in there that have a car, the people in there that can afford eating out once a week. And he says, Here, here's what I want you to tell. And maybe if Paul was talking to me, here's what I want you to tell. Victory Christian Center at the 11 a.m. service. Tell them, this is verse 17, 1 Timothy 6. We're going to put the scripture on the screen. If you don't have Bibles, just follow along. It says, tell those people who are rich in this world. Who's rich? We are. In case you haven't admitted it yet, you are rich. If you live in America and here, you're rich. You are richer than you think you are. In case you don't think you're rich, I want you to imagine walking down the streets of Haiti with me on one of our Victory Missions trips. And on your left and right are kids living in gar garbage bags, because they do. And, and they're running around with no shoes, no shirts. Not every part in Haiti is like this, but the parts that our church goes to ministers to. And, and you sit down with them to tell them your financial stress coming up this Christmas. That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Because you'd realize, wow, I am more blessed than I thought I was. I'm, I'm richer than I thought I was compared on a global scale. I fit into this category that Paul's talking about, that Jesus is talking about, that Paul's telling Timothy to talk to. And he says, tell those people who are rich not to be proud. In other words, don't think you're the one that made all the money. Remember where it came from. Remember the source. Consider the source. Who owns all that we have? God. He gave us these riches. He says, don't be proud with what you make or what you own, what you have. And don't trust in your money. Verse 17 which will soon be gone. We can't take money into eternity. When you get to heaven, you're not going to have stacks on stacks on stacks of all the money that you made. You're not going to have your boats. You're not going to have your car. You're going to be in heaven, and you're going to love worshiping God and being with other people, and God, God's going to bless us with different types of treasures. But the things in this life, they don't really go into eternity with us. He says, that stuff can be eaten by moths. That stuff can be rusted. That stuff can be stolen. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Don't put your trust in something that's soon going to be gone. But instead, trust in the living God who richly provides for us all that we need for our enjoyment. God wants to bless you. God doesn't want you to live in poverty. God wants you to live well. But he wants you to know what to do with what he blesses you with. 
He wants you to remember that what you've been blessed with is not all about you and it's not all for you. Your blessings have a purpose. Your prosperity has a purpose. And, and he gets ready to tell us what to do with all of these things. Everybody say, don't trust in money. Trust in God who richly blesses us with all that we need. And he says this, tell them to use their money to do good. This, this sermon could make you richer. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know everyone in this room would like to get richer. You would like to get richer. This sermon could make you richer. Here's what he says. Tell the people who are rich how to be rich, how to be even wealthier than they already are. Tell them how to spend their money. Use your money to do good. Tell them to be rich in good works. That we should give generously to those in need. Always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. And here's the connection to Matthew 6. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure. There's that word again, treasure. As a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of real life. Everybody say real life. God's into getting us to let go of this illusion that says, if I have more, I'm going to be really happy. If I have more, I'm really going to be living. See, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life, a real life, by what we give. The key to real life is giving what you've already got. The key to real life is letting go of what's in your hand. There's a show that, that used to be really popular a few years ago called Hoarders. Anybody ever see Hoarders? They, they hoard all this stuff in their house. They keep all these things, and it's tons of stuff in there. And There's a person who comes into the house called the organizer. The organizer's job on the show is to get people to let it go, let it go. You got to let go of the stuff. And she's like trying to really help them let it go. And they're like, no, I like all my cats. I like all the magazines. I like all the trash. And they're like collecting trash. It's crazy. And they have the money to get other stuff and get rid of some of the junk that's in their house, but they don't want to let it go. And the organizer's trying to help them. Like, I'm trying to set you free from a stingy life. Because when you let go of what you have, there's so many other greater things that can come into your hands. The man who always has open hands will always be blessed. The guy who holds his fist tight, he'll never have enough. You'll never have enough. Because greed never has enough. Greed always wants more and more and more. And so at Christmas time, it's about me, me, me. I got to get more presents for me. I got to find out what I want from everybody. I got to tell them what I need. But see, the joy of Christmas is giving, not getting. Giving. I remember in children's church, my, my kids' pastor used to tell this illustration about monkeys. How it was so easy for hunters to catch a monkey in the jungle. They would stick a box and carve a circle in a wooden box just big enough for the monkey's hand to get into. They would stick a bunch of bananas in the box because they knew that the monkey would come in and he would stick his hand in the box, and this is just the nature of monkeys. They won't let go of what they want. Once they have what they want, they won't let go. And so the hunters start closing in on the monkey, and the monkey's trying to pull the banana out of the hole, but the hole's not big enough to get the banana out. How many of you guys remember this illustration? Okay, a few of us. So the monkey's screaming, you know, trying to get that, that banana out. And the hunters come in and they catch him. Why? Because he won't let go of what he thinks he has to have. It's okay to have a house. It's okay to have a car. It's okay to have some nice things. But if you feel like you can't live without those things, you are missing real 
life. Because you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give away. So how are we going to store up treasures in heaven? I want to give you real quick four ways to store up treasures that moths won't eat away, rust won't come and, and, and corrode it, and thieves can't break in and steal. These four ways. If you do these four things, you could be the wealthiest person in your life. And we could be the wealthiest church in the world if we decide to live like this, to be rich like this. Paul's telling Timothy to tell them how to be rich. Number one, live to give your stuff. The title of this message is Live to Give. Live to give your stuff. What's your stuff? It's your money. It's your resources. It's the blessings that you have. It's sharing it with those in need. Remember, Paul told Timothy, tell them to share what they have. Acts 20, verse 35 says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So being someone who gives your stuff away, gives, maybe someone needs a pair of shoes. Here's a, here's a practical way to do it. If you have something in your house that's not being used, give it away. If it's not meeting a need, turn it into a seed. Let's say that again. If it's not meeting a need, turn it into a seed. If it's not meeting a need, turn it into a seed. Maybe you have some clothes that you aren't wearing right now that you could give away. Maybe you have some toys that you could bless a family that doesn't have any toys for their kids this Christmas. Maybe you and your family or maybe you and your friends could go and give some of your resources, some money to people in need. In fact, a group that does this every week is a group of our young adults right here from the church. They go out and they, their, their outreach is actually called Give. And they go out on Saturday mornings. They just give. They just give stuff away to people and bless people with stuff. You could join them. Here's a practical, another practical way to do it is you could buy a Christmas present for kids this Christmas and bring it to the toy drop-off box right here in the lobby. We are going to bless kids with Christmas presents this Christmas at the Dream Center, the single parent ministry, and right here in this church after service on the Christmas production weekend. And you could be part of that. You could go to Walmart and just spend $10 or $15 or $20 and get them a new gift. Don't give them like something that you used 20 years ago. Get them something new. Be a blessing. You are so blessed. You are so rich. Now do something with your riches. It's going to make you even wealthier. You can invest in Beanie Babies. <laughs> or you can invest in changed lives. You can make some investments. You can, you know, get online and figure out what stocks you need to buy and what mutual funds and all that stuff. I'm not really good at trying to figure out what to say on that. But what if you invested in something that has eternal value? What if you invested in something that when you get to heaven, God introduces you to the kids that were impacted by your money and your resources? He said, hey, let me show you your treasures in heaven. By the way, I don't know what the treasures in heaven are going to look like. I do know that there's a crown that we get when we get to heaven for, for the things we do good in this life. I do know that every secret thing, good or bad, will be judged in eternity. That's in the scriptures like five different times. But I have this thought that the good things you do for other people, maybe the treasure that's being stored in heaven is not so much like more stuff up there, like you're going to get up there and God's going to give you a heavenly Lamborghini or a heavenly, like, you know, whatever you want, something nice, coach purse or, you know, something like that, that what the treasure might be is the people that you impacted. The treasure might be that you get up there and you're walking down those golden streets and God says, let me show you something. See that crowd of 15 kids? When you gave back to God your tithes, you impacted these 15 kids. These 15 kids are here because you chose to give 
your stuff back to God. Live to give your stuff. Number two, live to give your time. Live to give your time. I want us to go to Proverbs 11 real quick. Proverbs 11, verse 24, really kind of puts all the giving stuff in perspective. It says, it's possible to give freely and become more wealthy. But those who are stingy will lose everything. Now think of that in terms of time. It's one thing to like sow a seed and, and bless someone with a present. But what if you showed up to the outreach yourself and gave an hour of your time to hand the present to the kid? What if you showed up to the nursing home this Friday night, the Victory Nursing Home Outreach, which all the nursing homes and information is in your bulletin that you received when you came in. If you're wondering, which nursing home do I go to? How do I get there? What time is it? All that information is in your bulletin. What if you spent two hours this Friday night? In fact, me and Ashley, one of our first dates, the first date we went on when we decided we were going to start courting, we went to um, uh, the day center downtown, and we spent the night just serving soup to the homeless and hanging out with them. You know what? I don't remember a lot of our dates, honey. I'm sorry, but I do remember that date. It was a hilarious, amazing, just, it's amazing when you do something for someone that could never pay you back in this life. All of a sudden, you like start feeling really alive. You start feeling really alive. If you haven't done something for someone else that can't pay you back, you aren't truly living. If you're living just for you, and your marriage is just about you, and your life is just about you, I'm so sorry because you're missing out on amazing life that God wants you to live. And I remember that night, us going there and doing that. And it was so funny because I knew we were going to do it. Ashley didn't know, so she dressed up really nice. And I was wearing, like, jeans with holes and a hoodie because I wanted to fit in. And, and, and so, you know, we went down there, and Ashley looked beautiful. She always looks beautiful. But I remember going in there and just the conversations, the stuff, that, the change that started happening to me. When you spend time doing something that has eternal value, it changes you from the inside out. It changes you. It makes you so much more blessed. It makes you so much more rich. There's a story that Billy Graham wrote about in his book, Just As I Am, his autobiography. It's a very interesting story. I want to just read this to you. And, and I want our band to come up as I get ready to close this out. He said this. I remember being at a crusade we were doing and we had gone to the Caribbean and we were getting ready to do some ministry there and there was a very wealthy man, in fact one of the wealthiest men on the whole island invited us to come to his house for lunch. We went to his house, it was lavish, it was amazing, so much amazing furniture, so many rooms, just beautiful. This man was 75 years old and throughout the entire lunchtime, he was close to tears. He said, Billy, I'm the most miserable man in the world. He said, out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private jet just down the street. I've got not just one helicopter, I've got several helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy, and yet I'm miserable. And he threw a cuss word in there that I won't say. He said, I'm miserable. I'm stinking miserable. And, and watch what Billy said here. He said, we talked with him and, and we prayed with him. We tried our best to point him to Christ, me and Ruth. We tried to tell him that God, God alone is the one that gives lasting meaning to life. It's not money, it's not yachts, it's not all that stuff. Then we went down the hill to a small cottage where we were staying. That afternoon, the pastor of the local Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman and he too was 75 years old, a widower. 
He spends most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and others. And he smiled and said, <laughs> I don't have two pounds to my name, but I'm the happiest man on the island. Billy and his wife looked at each other and Billy said, who do you think is the richer man? Who do you think is the richer man? Who do you think is the richer man? Who do you think is richer? So the guy who hoards all this stuff, keeps it all, God's saying, give it, give it, give it. Not give it so that way I can have more because God already has enough. Give it so you can have more. Give it so you can have more joy. Give it so you can have more peace. Give it so that this Christmas you're not depressed out of your mind. Give it so that this Christmas you're not stressed out and worried and feeling so lonely and isolated and wishing someone would call you. Give some time to people who can never repay you. I remember the day, actually it was Father's Day. It was the year after my dad had passed, Father's Day. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I, you know, we had celebrated Father's Day. I have an amazing father-in-law, by the way. He's on the front row. And uh, I'm grateful that when I go to the holidays to my wife's family's house, I don't have to, like, gear up with, like, armor, you know, spiritual armor. They're so sweet. I love my in-laws. That was just a shout-out to them, just trying to score some brownie points as one of their <laughs> son-in-laws. But I, I remember that day, that afternoon, just trying to figure out, man, what am I going to do with my time? I was sad. I was missing my dad. And and God said, why don't you go to the nursing home and go love on some of the granddads there that their grandsons and sons probably won't go see them today. And so I did. I went to one of the nursing homes and sat down with this man named John. And we talked for like an hour, just laughed, listened to his stories. And he got like welled up with tears in his eyes. He said, thanks for coming to visit me. He said, my kids haven't come in a long time. He said, why'd you do this? Why'd you come? I said, I don't know, I just, I was starting to get lonely, I was starting to get depressed, I was starting to think about what I didn't have, and God told me, go and be with someone that you could just show love to. It's funny that when we give out, we actually receive more. We think that like holding on to stuff is going to make us richer and happier and healthier and wealthier. Man, it, it drains us of life. Go and give your time. This week, go to the nursing home. If you can't go this Friday, go this month. Take your family. Go on a date. If you're single, go, go spend your first date downtown just serving the homeless. Do something for someone who could never repay you and watch what it does in your life. Number three, live to give love. Live to give love. You know what holds us back from showing love? Pride. Pride tells you, no, I'm not going to show them love. They haven't apologized to me. Pride says wait. Love says initiate. Pride says wait for them to come to you. Pride says wait for them to apologize. Pride says wait for them to invite you to hang out. Love says initiate the reconciliation. Jesus says initiate the spending time with him. Initiate the, the, the generous acts of kindness. There was an actor who passed away a year ago. And after, after his funeral stories started coming in about this actor. One of the stories was how he had chartered a private jet to go and spend time with a girl for a make-a-wish uh, thing. She was dying. She had two weeks left to live, and this actor was her favorite actor. He lo she loved this actor, and she had sent through Make-A-Wish Foundation the, the request, would you come? Could I spend just an hour with you? The actor invited her to come to his set. He was making a movie, and she couldn't come. She was too sick to, to fly, and 
So he chartered a private jet. He spent $30,000 to fly from California to North Carolina. And he spent eight hours with this girl, making her laugh. He was a comedian. So he made her laugh. He spent time just making her smile, doing impressions. And man, she said the whole day she was just overwhelmed by his love. He didn't have to do this. He was going out of his way. See, here's the thing. When we give to love, not only does it store up treasures in heaven, it has a ripple effect on earth. Things are happening today because of people's love who've gone on to be with the Lord years ago. Things are happening today in my life that my dad planted years before he ever died. And now that he's gone, not only does he have treasure in heaven, but he's, the treasure continues to grow because the acts of love he sowed into this world continue to sow on. The gift goes on. And that's what I want to challenge you to do is live to give your love. Don't let pride hold back that opportunity to encourage someone. Love encourages people. Someone is waiting for you to just encourage them. And maybe you feel like God puts you on this earth to discourage people. No, God, God, God gave me a pessimistic spirit, Paul. I'm called to bring out the negative in people. No, that's, that's my calling. I don't see heaven in people. I see the other thing in people. I'm the one that judges them. God put me on the earth to judge people, and I'm going to judge everybody. Would you stop judging everybody and start loving everybody? When we judge, we don't have time to love. But when we love, we don't have time to judge. What if you started living to love and started living to judge? God put me on earth to just tell them what they're doing wrong. No, no, no. God put you on earth to be like Christ. An ambassador of Christ is someone who shows the love of God everywhere they go, encouraging people, hugging people. Someone's waiting to get a hug from you. Maybe your family is not the hug type family. Maybe you grew up in the family where, hey, we don't say we love you. We don't hug people. We don't encourage people. We're very focused on the TV type of family. What if you broke the curse? And you said, I'm going to change the legacy of my family. I'm going to be that one son, that one daughter, that dad, that mom, that grandparent that's going to start saying, I love you. Come, I want to give you a hug this Christmas. What? Why are you hugging me? We don't hug. We're not the family that hugs. I want to show you how much I love you. Watch what it does. Because one day, all of us are going to have a funeral. All of us are going to end up in eternity. And at the end of your life, people are going to be standing around your tombstone, see the year that you were born, the year that you died. There's a little dash right between the years. And there's an obituary that's read. And in that obituary, there's about three to four paragraphs, maybe. And that's if you're, like, really famous. Most people get, like, one or two paragraphs. But what if those paragraphs were your kids and your grandkids and your friends and your coworkers saying, man, he was a giver. Man, she really gave love, didn't she? You can still feel the ripple effect of just how many people she loved, how many people he touched. Man, that Amekanonka, he sure shows the love of God everywhere he goes. He's such a giver. What are people going to say about you? Man, I'm trying to set you up so that you can say, my pastor warned me. My pastor warned me that all the stuff I get here on this earth doesn't go into eternity. He warned me to live to give. That's all I'm saying. Number four, live to give your heart to God. Live to give your heart to God. When God has your heart, he has all of you. He has your habits, your attitudes, your reactions, your responses, your emotions. He has your shame from past mistakes. He has your pride of current success. You bring it down to the altar. You leave fingerprints on the altar after you're gone. That was a man who constantly surrendered his life to God. See, 
David in the Bible, he was just one big pink offering envelope to the Lord if he was from victory because we got pink and green envelopes. Here, God, here's my life, my dreams, my hopes, my mistakes, my failures. God, I'm yours. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart. On a daily basis, God was teaching David to give him his heart. And I'm going to end with this story. This last week, I was watching a very important football game. I don't even want to talk about the Cowboys game. But I was watching it, and in the middle of like a really important play, the TV turned off. And I realized I was supposed to be watching Liam, my son. I looked down on the floor, and there's my baby boy Liam, and he's eating the remote control. <laughs> just smiling, just like chomping on the control. I'm like, Liam! And I grab the control, and I'm trying to play tug of war with the remote control. And, ah! You know, he's trying to, like, scream and hold on to it. My remote control. And finally, I get it away from him. I was peaceful, but I had to get it from him. I had to pry it from his fingers. And I realized, man, Liam, <laughs> not that he could tell me. He just, he just wanted to get my attention. He just wanted me to see him, that he was maybe more important than the football game. I can't really take the football game with me to heaven, but I can take my son. I can spend some time with my family. And I realize how often do we get distracted and we're living to get, whether it's get more TV time or get more attention or get more encouragement from others or get some shout outs from our boss or get something from somebody or get more likes on Facebook or get stuff or people or get presents. And, and it's a miserable way to live, living to get. But when you choose, man, I'm gonna be the giver in this relationship. I'm going to be the giver in my family. I'm going to be the giver. What we're saying is, God, here's the remote control. God, I know I've been arguing over it. I really want the remote control in my life. I really want to control my life, but God, I'm giving it to you. He wants it. He wants it because if he has it, our lives will be so much greater. And sometimes we want the remote control so we can fast forward through seasons we don't like. Like, oh, I just wish I could get through the diaper phase with Liam. Fast forward. You know, I wish I could get through the season of sleepless nights. That's really for my wife. But fast forward, you know. And, and we want the remote control. And God says, wait, let me take that. Because this season is perfect for you to develop into the man of God, to the woman of God. I know you want to be somewhere that you're not. But that's what Advent is all about. It's waiting and realizing that the only thing that's going to satisfy us is not stuff here. It's not things here. Not the next season of success or the next marriage you get in or the next relationship. Advent is about waiting for the Savior who shows up on Christmas Day. This is what it's all about. The one who truly satisfies our thirst. Nothing else is going to leave us satisfied except for Jesus. I want us to stand on our feet this morning because this is a message to find hope in Jesus.